0: The following podcast is an Embassy Row production.
1: So, Melissa, um, I know very recently in Beauty News, we covered the launch of the brand Reflect, by, yeah. you know, the female gamer that was really focused on, you know, blue light and, blue light. and uh, blue light protection. And the brand launched and it was a lot of pomp and circumstance, a lot of attention. I know you and I were yeah, really excited big, about it. And, a gamer excited. who's normally in a predominantly male world coming out with, you know, a beauty product. And while I don't know what happened with mm-hmm. the brand mm-hmm. sort of taking a step back or or shutting down or whatever's going on with it it did make me wonder with Mm -hmm. all of the buzz around the damage to our skin from blue light like did Mm -hmm. we maybe take those facts a little too far do we Mm. think that you know maybe the blue light well I know it's affected my eyes I wear a ton of sunscreen Mm -hmm. every day anyway so if it's protecting me against my screens great but like I don't know. Mm. Have you heard anything about the science of, of blue light claims?
2: No. And I will hot take. <laughs> hot scorching take is on all my personal, because you asked, this is my personal opinion. I think it's a little mark, little marketing, little blue light washing, blue washing <laughs> versus green washing. I have I'm not gonna show you the bottle because it has the label on it, but I do have a bottle in my desk right here of spray, face spray that I bought because it said blue light spray that's supposed to protect your face. Sold, sold, didn't even look what was in it, done. And then a friend of mine who was a beauty founder like yourself was like, well, what's in it? And I'm like, I don't care. (laughs) I'm on my computer all day long. I'm on, my, I'm on my son's iPad trying to get it from him. I'm on my phone and blah, 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 all day long. I Anything that will protect my face from wrinkles or whatever. I don't even know what I'm protecting my face from because, again, to your point, to your question, no, I don't know anything about blue light science because I haven't even bothered to look into it. It's just such an easy sell. But I don't know that there is much science behind blue light Other than your eyes, that I do have talked to my own optometrist about. I have really sensitive dry eyes. But as far as skincare goes, that's real TBD. And as far as this line goes that shuttered after six days, that was completely built on the um, selling point of protecting your, your skin against blue light. Yeah, I think there was probably some something wonky there. Um, that, you know, you I, I I don't know. You've launched brands, product brands I have not. So as far as claims you can make, I know they're very tight, you know, of what you can actually say. Um, so maybe there was a snag there of of making such a a very concrete claim based on an area that isn't scientifically as well developed. Yeah. Eh? Maybe. Yeah. So we could just We're make this something.
1: A, we can make this a, a, a reflect series within the beauty vanguard. <laughs> you go do your homework. What happened? Uh, what to happened? To reflect. To reflect. Um exactly. Still mad um, props for a female founder that went out there and did her thing. But but we'll get to the bottom absolutely. of this. absolutely. We'll get to the bottom. Absolutely. Of
2: this. Yeah. And I think that the gaming space is not necessarily traditionally welcoming to Beauty. There's been like Tatcha has tried to do a beauty activation within gaming and a couple other brands. And I think it's like, why not? It's a space that people are staring at for four to 10 hours at a time. It's, you know, our kids are our um, kids age um, aren't watching commercials anymore because they only stream their content. So it's like pushing commercials into games, right? So why not? I think it's a great thing to try. It sounds to me like uh, through what I've read that advertising beauty hasn't done exceptionally well in gaming. So I think with this reflect shuttering, reflect brand shuttering, I think it could be a mix of both. The blue light claims um, and where those stood or don't stand um, and then just gaming not being a very Welcoming space for beauty brands. Right. Yet.
1: All right. Well so, TB,
2: TB, TB TBC to be continued. Yes.
1: And uh and I'm gonna ponder whether gamers are ready for beauty <laughs> as we head into the next episode of the Beauty Vanguard.
2: David Yi is the co-founder of Good Light, a Gen Z personal care brand that believes in beauty beyond the binary. He's also the editor-in-chief of Very Good Light, a beauty publication dedicated to redefining masculinity, and the author of Pretty Boys, Legendary Icons Who Redefine Beauty and How to Glow Up Too. He's also a former fashion editor, having written for many well-known publications, including Women's Wear Daily. Due to his strong focus on inclusivity, David has received a GLAAD Award and two Webby nominations, and was named one of 25 people changing the beauty conversation in Marie Claire magazine. We're thrilled to have him here with us today. Welcome to the Beauty Vanguard, David.
1: You have such an amazing beauty background that spans editorial to starting brands, but before all of that began, we would love to know about your beauty journey and your earliest influences and experiences that have informed the, you know, your views and ideals about beauty.
0: Sure. I grew up in Colorado Springs, Colorado as the lone Asian American in my non-Asian American school. (laughs) I mean, as you could probably imagine in Colorado, it wasn't very diverse. I think that as Asian Americans, you kind of veer towards two paths when you grow up in a predominantly non-Asian American space. One path is you want so much to be embraced and accepted that you kind of want to slough everything from your immigrant self and you just want to be the predominant race, right? Or you become hyper-vigilant and hyper-aware of who you are, very self-aware, and you become militant with your identity. Mm -hmm. And the latter was me. I was always proud to be Korean. I never wanted to be anything other than Korean. Had no friends. People thought I was a freak. But for me, I was like, this is who I am. My parents are proud Korean immigrants. We may not have much, but their power and, and their pride for who they were And R translated to me, and I am fluent in Korean. I love my Korean food, love Korean pop music and K-dramas. Before it came a thing, before Squid Games came along, I'm like... Now everyone's like waking up to, <laughs> you know, the beauty of my culture, but
2: growing <laughs> the up Korean with beauty, soap opera, everybody's the obsessed. Korean soap
0: operas, K-pop, you know, my parents, they groom themselves and they pamper themselves with all these potions and elixirs. And I was, I was like, why is it that my dad is so obsessed with like beauty? Like, why is he mm-hmm. always drenching himself in the mirror? What is he doing in the bathroom? But I realized that that was his way of surviving this cruel world that didn't really embrace his immigrant self, his non-English speaking self. It was that five minutes of preparation before mm-hmm. the day started. It was looking in the mirror, confronting himself, you know, hugging his face and, and coming to terms with who he was, that self-actualization practice. And five minutes before he went to bed at night where he could reflect, where he could really understand if he achieved his goals to achieve that American dream. And I think for me, me, you know, beauty is more than just vanity. It's what my dad taught me in that bathroom when I was five years old. It was about self-transformation, self-love and radical self-love, you know, Mm. understanding that the world may not embrace you. The world may think of you as less than, but you will not allow yourself to believe in that because you are practicing that that self-care every day in the morning. And that's something that I'll always remember and take with me.
1: Ugh, that's so incredible. And even just the way you started, you know, I too am a child of immigrants from Kenya. And I was sort of like version one because I grew up in Oklahoma. So completely understand um, Ugh, you know, growing you up. You get it. You get it. <laughs> I get it. I so get it. But But I will tell you that you know, version number two, your version number one really came along for me in high school, which was such like an odd time to like, as a girl, especially to like, start to embrace my Kenyan roots, my individuality. I loved being different. I loved having a different name, but it, it, it took me to high school to get there. Cause I definitely changed my name to like Jenny and Amy a few times when I was growing oh, up. No. Well, it's tried all about survival. You yeah. It's all about survival. Yeah. You know, I for me. Yeah.
0: I was always like, "Why do people want to be like white?" Like, I don't get it. But it's like, well, when you're young, you just want to fit in. That is yeah. survival, and you'll do anything so that you won't be picked apart or you won't, you know, be othered. And mm. you know, for me, I remember in high school, um, I was so crazy in high school. I created I need the pictures
2: on this. I need like some footage. I have footage a video, Melissa. High school day video. I need sophomore we- year, David, yes. Colorado Springs. Oh space. my gosh, Melissa, send footage. I'm-
0: insane I actually just digitized my footage last week thank you we <laughs> send it <laughs> I'm looking at this footage and I created the International Diversity Council and I was talking about DEI and i when I was 15 and I was like who is this bold child for one but I remember tricking everyone to this talent show because I created the first talent show because I was like everyone's uh, going to uh, know about uh, DEI. and i everyone's going to understand why intersectionality is the only way and now looking at it, I'm like I was ahead of my time and I was insane. You were really
2: ahead of your time I'm on stage
0: wearing a Korean Hanbok because we had a fashion show. (laughs) I'm seeing a K pop song in front of mostly all white people and they're all confused. I'm going to send you this footage. (gasps) I love you. I'm like just immediately going off and popping off. But that was always who I was. I was always an advocate. That's why I wanted to become a journalist because I never saw myself. In on screen and you have to be the change that you seek. And so that's why to me, diversity, it was never trendy. This was always who I was. I was always about uplifting and understanding that only through storytelling can we pull through, can we go yeah. further, can we walk to, to our future. right? Um, and that's why beauty is also a, an industry that is just so powerful because beauty is that inclusion. Beauty is that equity, that parity that we've been looking for.
2: It totally is. I have a feeling no matter what industry you got into, though, or what profession you chose, you'd be a leader (laughs) in that lane, for sure. It sounds like you have grown up such a leader in your life in all aspects. So, Well,
0: listen, Melissa, it's because we also had faces like you where I was like, I can be a fashion editor like Melissa at the LA Times. When I saw your bylines, I was like... And she's an author and she also, you know, paved this path. There was no one like you, you know, when I was growing up um, until, you know, I really went into high school and I was like, wow, someone like a Melissa exists? You mean I can do this? And that is something that I do want to say. When you see yourself, you can even dream bigger. When you see a Melissa, you're like, Oh my gosh, I can do Melissa, but I can maybe do something else too.
2: Totally. Yeah. And I think also for children of immigrants first generation, I know your parents Nikayo were in academia. My dad's in l- a lawyer and my mom's in finance. Like I mean, there's a lot of children of uh, first uh, first generation children of immigrants that were expected to be, you know, doctors, lawyers, engineers, you know, professions that, that make money. um, and, And that makes sense coming, you know, with parents coming from other countries and sacrificing a lot to, you know, have our, have their families here in the U.S. But it sounds to me like your family was really supportive and embraced your creative endeavors, really, you know, paved your way to beauty with your dad and his, his skincare and his, self-love and self-care in the mirror. I love that story.
0: Well, I don't want to digress, but... (laughs) It's not like my parents agreed with all of my life choices when I was a young person because I was crazy. Who's due? I thought I was gonna be a K-pop star. So I was like, mom and dad, listen, I love to sing, I love to perform. And my dad told me this Korean saying. He was like, the special black pig from the countryside when he goes into Seoul, everyone's a black pig. And I was like, What are you trying to say, dad? He's like, you're not special. You might be special in the country in Colorado, but you go to Seoul. And you're not special. And so my parents sent me by myself when I was 14 to Korea to audition for K-pop. Because they're like, the sooner you fail, the sooner you're going to go to Harvard, which I didn't go to Harvard. And so I went to Korea. And this is part of my story, too. I auditioned for every single agency out there. And I ended up coming back because I was too afraid to to pursue it. But
2: But listen, they let you. They did it. They sent you. You tried it. They sent me.
0: They sent me by myself because they wanted me to fail. They're like, the sooner you no.
2: get this out of your system. <laughs> they they that let you get bad. it out of your system.
0: Right. I still think that there's room and there's um, a path for me to become my K-pop self. I agree. Never mom and dad.
2: A thousand percent. I think you could be the ninth or the tenth
0: geriatric,
2: member geriatric The geriatric member of BTS. K-pop. They seem to have a yeah. lot of members, but I think they could use one more.
0: The old one. That's what they would call
1: it. The old one. <laughs> That's okay. Seasoned. The seasoned, seasoned.
0: one. Seasoned. I want to start
1: amazing. a campaign to get David into
2: BTS. Oh my God. That would be I amazing. It would be like
0: dragged. They'd be like, uh, no. Or the, um, the
2: first male member of Blackpink. <gasps> oh, Right? Yes. Yeah. Let's do it.
0: I don't know how the K-pop fans are going to feel about it, but we're going for it. We are going <laughs> or, for
2: it. Since you are a successful beauty founder, there's also a lot of room to do collabs, a BTS Very Good Light collab, VGL BTS. Send it up, send it up. I just want to be a roadie on your tour. Nakea was like, just take me to the BTS concert. Come, come please, please. You'll be on the tour bus. Oh, I want to be on that tour bus. Well, so, I mean, you kind of, you know... Your background is so amazing. I love how so much of your culture has informed your, your path and, and you know, what you do currently. So growing up, did you see yourself represented in beauty outside of your dad? I mean, were there, there cover girl ads? Were there magazine covers? Did you see this clear path to beauty as a profession in any way, um, in addition to possibly becoming a journalist?
0: Never. I never saw myself in beauty. I don't. I, I could, I mean, young David could never imagine where older David would be. I mean, there was no kind of representation of a Korean-American, Asian-American person in the beauty sphere. I never saw myself, let alone in music or film or television. I mean, still in today's day, we, we hardly see any Asians in, in media. But as a journalist, you know, I really saw Suchin Park on MTV. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Suchin Park is doing exactly what I want to do. Same, and yeah. I want to be like Suchin Park. And so that possibility of seeing someone, like I said, Melissa, seeing someone do kind of remotely mm-hmm. what you want to do, allowed me to go into journalism and, and take that as my passion. And, and I right. think I was always a storyteller, more so I was always just nosy. I was always like, okay, why do people think this way? What do you, they really feel? And so I went to USC, studied broadcast journalism, and you know, moved to New York.
2: Yeah, I felt the same way seeing her because she wasn't right. on like, you know, Connie Chung was big at the time when I was really little. But that was like network news; it was really serious. I couldn't even really watch the news when I was that age, wasn't mm-hmm. understanding any of it anyway, or interested. But Chen was on MTV. That yeah. felt like, oh, it, as Asian people, we can be. Cool and looked up to and cutting edge and like edgy and alternative or whatever, yeah. like 90s speak, you know, because like in narratives, in movies or, you know, film, TV, when we did see ourselves, we weren't cool. You know, like right.
0: it was the long duck dongs, it was oh. the foreigners, those who yeah. can not speak English, the Kung Fu masters, it was the, the hypersexualized punch women. Yes, the punchlines and
2: the punch Still until
0: recently it was the punchline and, and mm-hmm. I think still it is in, in a lot mm-hmm. of spaces. Um yeah. so we have a lot of room to go and grow, but there are such trailblazers that allowed mm-hmm. me to imagine a, a world where maybe I belonged.
1: Oh, that's beautiful. So, David, you're leading a really important conversation about redefining masculinity. Tell us about your book, Pretty Boys, and what led you to write it.
0: Sure. Pretty Boys is the history of men and mask-identifying people throughout history and their relationship to makeup and aesthetics. And I mean, it goes back to this idea of why is it that our current um, kind of culture is still so gendered? It feels so antiquated. Why are mm-hmm. we conditioned as male, masculine-identifying folks, as female you know, or non-binary folks to be conditioned to see the world and act in a certain way that, has, that we've never had the agency to have decisions over? right? And from the beginning of time in my research, you know, so many people have celebrated their beauty and amplified their beauty through their aesthetics. Let's go Mm. 50,000 years ago to the Neanderthals, uh, cousins to some of us. Um, You know, they daubed their faces with foundation, ground up rocks like pyrite to create highlighting Mm. effects. Mm. And this was 50,000 BCE. And that to me showed that innately, you know, creatures, humans, we want to be uh, celebrate for our beauty, no matter our gender, no matter mm. our sex. It's just innate within us. And my book came about because I've always just wanted to understand why. Going back to the nosiness of who I am, why is it that I, when I wear, you know, makeup, certain people judge me in a certain way. People fear, you know, someone who is so femme presenting. Why is it that we have these gender roles? And right. so I wanted to unmask this, unpack this. That's the reason why I started the website Very Good Light in 2016 to Mm. understand why men, mask identifying people, couldn't participate in something that was so, you know, crucial to my upbringing. And Mm. so this book came about in 2019. It was published in June of this year. But we go back 50,000 years ago, but all cultures, you know, in, in my findings and research have celebrated beauty from, you know, African tribes to Indian non binary folks to Korean Huarang, who were warriors who, who amplified their beauty um, in a spiritual practice, to, you know, obviously King Louis XIV, who created the wig trend. And every single kind of place and time in, in people, uh, no matter their gender identity, have always wanted to be seen in Mm -hmm. to be celebrated
2: that's such an amazing angle when you know the book came out and i got a press release about it i'm like of course like (laughs) you know especially about you know with with our culture or how it has been more so in the last couple years people really addressing toxic masculinity in the workplace in our culture in our just paradigm of how we live of society Mm -hmm. um and all the systemic you know ways in which toxic masculinity permeates all of it. You know, yes, the it, it's patriarchy. A, the patriarchy. It's just such an awesome conversation to be putting out there in a beautiful book, by the way. It's really just oh, stunning to you. look at and exciting to just pick up to open this conversation to maybe a lot of people who haven't thought about it or maybe mm-hmm. thinking differently or maybe fine with the way things are. Right. But it's not obviously fine.
0: (laughs) So I think we need to be cognizant and aware of why we are living and existing uh, in in a certain way. I mean, I, I go back into history and look at why and when gender roles were created and they were really created to be divisive so that men would have the power. Women were seen as incapable. And this all happened in Europe during the Enlightenment period and the scientific uh, revolution. It was the first time when the female skeleton was published. And this was a big deal because men can finally say, hey, look, women, their bodies are smaller, their skulls are smaller, their brains mm-hmm. are smaller. So that mm-hmm. means they're incapable. And anything to do with uh, you know, women or what was considered Femininity, frivolous and right, right. fem- feminine was considered as less than, and if you were man who participated in these feminine actions you were seen as uh, despicable and Mm -hmm. this was exacerbated by the world wars imperialism colonization white supremacy and now today we still have a a a hyper you know masculine and hyper feminine version of what we're supposed to be but innately and at our core at our essence we all have our divine femininity and divine masculinity and -hmm. that's how we are whole people that's how we are uh, whole and happy. Happy people and healthy people. But I think it really has to do with unlearning and unpacking and not being so afraid of letting go. I mean, so many men are fearful. When I have some conversations with straight cis men, they're like, Oh my gosh, what do you mean? Like makeup? Never. What? Mm. No. And it's kind of like, let's unpack that. Why are you so fearful? Why are you so afraid? Mm-hmm. And right. I think that when you ask these questions of what masculinity, what femininity means, why we exist in this space, why we think about things in a certain way, that's what when people's brains start ticking, they're like, why is it that I can't wear high heels? Why is it that I can't, you know, pump iron as, as a woman? Why is it that, you know, and you question why, that's when you go on this rabbit hole and that's when the transformation begins.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, One thousand One thousand percent. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, look at how like people reacted to Harry Styles and, you know, react to Harry Styles. It's like, what what is it that provokes you so much to a place that you are uncomfortable and fearful yes. and just perturbed in a way that like that says so much more about you than it does about him or anyone that, yeah. you know, crosses gender lines in that way. But I also love that you are really, you know, and it's what we're doing at 13 Loon, like, you know, kind of taking beauty and flipping the script and, and sort of, you know, utilizing it in a way to create new conversations that go beyond beauty outside of what has been the traditional sort of straightforward narrative. You know, speaking of another book besides yours that I'm obsessed with is called The Beauty Myth, and it's by Naomi Wolf. There's a chapter in it called Culture. And I mean, she's, you know... A feminist writer so she comes from a place of you know writing through the lens of feminism but she basically breaks down how beauty has traditionally been de- like designed to keep women down right because we are the primary target traditionally the customer and it's like you're walking through the aisles and everything's about shrinking this and growing that or shaving that or enlarging that or plumping this or deplumping plumping that I mean There's just no end to how we can be preoccupied with products, right? There's always some way we should be, according to Patriarchal Society, improving upon ourselves. And she makes the case in this chapter that beauty traditionally is just another way to preoccupy us to keep us down and, and distracted, right? I mean, that's a very specific angle, and I definitely agree with parts of that. But what I love about 13 Loon and everything you're doing with Very Good Light um, and the conversation that that you're really pushing forward is that beauty can really be utilized to make change for good. Mm -hmm. It's not solely about improving yourself. I mean, yes, we do it to a point where it makes us feel good and it makes us happy and we, you know, boost our confidence and it's like your dad in the mirror, you know, helping him sort of assimilate to his environment every day as a Korean man in Colorado Springs in the 80s and 90s. It's like beauty is such a wonderful vehicle for so many things, but then there are aspects that the system has been designed to maybe keep us preoccupied. But Um, I love how you're harnessing the, the power of beauty to change the conversation.
1: This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. I know that therapy is one of my greatest forms of self care. It's helped me as an entrepreneur, as a mother. As a wife and a friend
2: i could not agree more i love speaking to my therapist at least twice a month and he certainly helps me with issues big and small career to family
1: well we see the doctor and we go to the gym to take care of our bodies to prevent injury and disease we do chores regularly to avoid a messy house and going to therapy is just like that It's routine maintenance for your mental and emotional wellness to prevent bigger issues down the road.
2: BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy and you can start communicating with your therapist in under 48 hours. Why invest in everything else and not your mind? This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp and the Beauty Vanguard listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com TBV. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P.com TBV. And now back to the Beauty Vanguard.
0: It's interesting because I think that the history of makeup and propaganda, I mean, women started in America, started wearing makeup because of World War I, where men were shipped off to war Mm -hmm. overseas and who were replacing these men's in jobs. It was the women who were part of the workforce for the first time. And they were going into manual labor jobs such as factories or working, you know, in the postal service. But the American government, they didn't want American men to feel disillusioned or replaced or eclipsed and so they're like okay women you have to be cheerleaders now Mm. you have to wear makeup do your hair wear pantyhose and become hyper feminine and so there's a lot of these makeup propaganda ads that said if you're not wearing makeup you're not patriotic you're un-American if you're not dolling yourself up this is when the pinup girl started to um, come about because Mm -hmm. you know men wanted to feel inspired they wanted to feel like they are cheerleaders at home and so Elizabeth Arden you know tan all these brands they started these propaganda campaigns that said you must wear lipstick fighting red commando huh. red and that's they when women like were like oh names. i guess yeah interesting yes yes and before that, women who wore makeup were considered as sex workers. So it all flipped, <laughs> and this propaganda was so uh, intensely and amazingly uh, powerful and successful that in 2021 we still abide by propaganda that was created during World War One. Again, outside of our agency, outside of our control. Right. But getting back to what you're saying, uh, Melissa, is I really do think that you know makeup in a lot of ways can be empowering, uplifting. To me, it's not about vanity; it's about that self-care, amplifying what you love about mm-hmm. yourself and showing the world, you know, your best light, your good light. Once you're confident from the inside out, you merge that together with your outer light. And that's when I really do think that you can change the world and you're unstoppable.
1: It's so good. And it's so true. And when you were talking about beauty, it was making me think about, you know, you can also then understand why beauty gets a bad rap, right? As an industry for being superficial, for being mm-hmm. um, you know, sending the wrong message to the young generation. But how, to your point earlier, Melissa, that we can take and that we collectively, everybody on this on this podcast, are really trying to, you know, flip the switch and and but you know more importantly, just create conversation mm-hmm. so that, you know, we had a guest once that said curiosity is like the, you know, kind of most important thing you can do. Just be curious. Just be curious about one another. Mm-hmm. And and that can help to dispel so many of, like, our divisive behaviors and our judgments. Oh, I love that. Racism. And so it's like, you know, I'm, I love that beauty really gives people the chance to be curious. Curious in their own expression. Curious in their observation of others, curious and, you know, I love that my son's favorite color is pink and sometimes he wants to paint his nails, right? Mm-hmm. I think nice. it's that he's never been, never been afraid to say, you know, what his favorite color is or, or, you know, do the things that maybe when I was growing up in the 80s, you know, when I was his age, that, that maybe people would, mm-hmm. would judge a little bit mm-hmm. for you. And mm-hmm. I love that he's, you know, growing up in a, in a place that is so, you know, these are the beauty, the beautiful parts of LA that he's growing up in a place where like people just don't care. Mm -hmm. Right. They're like, you do Mm -hmm. you. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, so I think, gosh, what the, the freedom that, that children that get to experience that kind of lifestyle growing up in that space and that freedom to be themselves, um, what strong individuals and, and strong adults that were in the you know are in the making. But but yeah, I mean I think it, it gives us a chance to be curious. I mean, women didn't stand a chance. You're either a sex worker or you're trying to take a man's job. No. I
2: mean
1: shit.
0: The patriarchy, it's so, it just, its just, I mean, so crazy. it's still so pervasive today, right? Exactly. I, I think that there's so much work that we have to do, but it's about what you said, being curious and, and wondering why, and, and questioning why, you know, even the color pink. In the 60s, it was a marketing thing where before the 60s, pink was for boys and blue was for girls. So pink was uh, resembled blood, red. And so that's why young boys were considered to be more you know, aggressive. And so pink was for boys. It was marketing that changed that. And now blue is for boys and pink is for girls. So we need to question why, even with colors, mm. why are they gendered? Mm-hmm. Everything has a, a starting point and an answer. We just have to do our research. And that's why history is so important.
2: Well, I can't wait to get my son or give my copy of the book to your book to my son. I think it's like such a incredibly important uh, conversation because it's around this age too—seven, eight, nine. You know that well, he, anyway. I can only speak for my son. Is starting to notice like so and so has really long hair, or you know, I, I don't know, just certain things that that kind of come up in society, or maybe it's a show he's watching. Mm-hmm. I mean. You know, where these these gendered aspects of society start to really start to fall in. And we always try and have the conversation. It's like, there's no one way to have hair. There's no, there's just what the hair that you want to have. There's no nail color that's supposed to be your nail color. It's whatever color you are gravitating to, you know. But that's why a book like yours is important as well, because it gives such great context, historical context. Like there's so much to learn as an adult, but certainly a really great place, like springboard to be able to have a conversation with your child too, because then you can weave history into it. Where otherwise it's like, cause I said so, because you can have whatever hair you want, you know, like boys can have long hair, girls can have short hair. But it's great to back it up too with this awesome history and, and a fun to look at, fun to read book. Just to keep going back to and educating yourself.
0: And what a vibrant time to be alive for young people, especially because the biggest stars now you know, express themselves like BTS are the hugest stars, but they happen to wear makeup and have colorful hair. Lil Nas, Lil Nas X, X totally. right? Uh, we have Bad Bunny with his acrylic nails, right, or right. or wearing, uh, being in drag, or or also folks like you know, like you said, Harry Styles. We have so many references yeah. now to feel as if you could be, you can identify with someone and feel powerful and you're pretty.
2: Mm, right, that is so true. Right. We do have really incredible role models right now. For kids that are like everywhere, like a little Nas X, like Mm -hmm. ever since my son's like seven, he was talking about little Nas X, and that's you know, I think that's really powerful. Well, everything you do, everything, and from forever since you were like five years old, (laughs) seems that it's been centered on inclusivity. So this is nothing new to you. You formed the DEI in junior high, I think you said, (laughs) but how would you explain like to our audience what does inclusivity and beauty mean and look like to you
0: I think it's a reflection of society and humanity. Inclusion doesn't stop and end with skin tone, but also gender identity and abilities. And and I think that we can include all voices and do a better job at understanding that inclusion doesn't stop and end with uh, a, a shade of makeup, which is still so vital and important. But we have a lot more work to also do. I mean, when it comes to gender inclusivity, I think that there's a lot of homework we need to do. Um, I coined the word gender inclusiveness instead of genderless because I believe that genderless doesn't recognize all gender identities, like women who fought for their rights or non-binary folks who are fighting for their rights. It kind of just is a blanket statement that says, okay, it's for everyone, but doesn't honor and see people's and recognize people's gender identities that they fought for or that they're proud of. And you know, when you say genderless, it also is pretty much on the binary. When people are saying genderless, it's for women and men, but not everyone is a man or a woman. There are bi- non-binary folks who have survived and existed from the beginning of time to now. It's not a new uh, kind of identity. It's uh, It's an identity that people are now understanding that they always were. And so gender inclusion is a space that I'm passionate about. Uh, you know, our tagline at Good Light Cosmetics is beauty beyond the binary. And uh, we want to really push forward that all gender identities are, are important, are belong in this conversation, that you can amplify who you are and love who you are by shining your good light from the inside out, which is also why it's called Good Light.
2: Love it. You need good light. Outside and inside. I'm learning about exactly you know, when I see a photo of myself, I'm like, uh oh, oh, it's the light. It's all about that light. But yeah. <laughs> all about the lighting. All about the lighting. Gender inclusivity versus genderless. I love your explanation of it. It's so important to pay homage, recognize, represent, not just the yeah, binary.
0: I think semantics and words are always changing. Um, I mean, we're always coming up with new words that are more exact and precise. But I think genderless is kind of last decade, and and gender inclusiveness feels good for the moment and right now. I think that's a more embracing term. It's a more inclusive term, and I hope that we can use that more. Like this is a gender inclusive brand. It's it's for all genders. Mm. It's, it, everyone's welcomed, and so I'm kind. I'm trying to you know um, bring that more in, into the forefront of the conversation. Mm.
1: Mm, I'm definitely going to incorporate that into anything that we're developing and yeah, gender inclusive. Because we said, you know, I'll be working
0: with chemists
1: and, you know, we'll say we want this to be sort of non-binary, but I like gender inclusive. It feels more inclusive. Mm -hmm. So I'll start using that term um, in the description (laughs) to the things that we're putting out into the world. But, you know, speaking of that, beauty is about putting things onto ourselves and, you know, through book with your, uber interesting life with your passion for the arts and music and and your line your brand um, you know you're putting a lot on how do you take it all off how do you just give yourself david time to decompress reflect all the things
0: i love reading I, I i love reading ever since i was a child so that's how i decompress i take a lot of hikes because i'm in colorado now i love going on trails and getting lost I um, watch a lot of film and television um, because we're in a pandemic. That's what you do. And I just like to be present and in the moment with my friends and family and understand that that's what's important. It's this moment that we're living in right now and not to think so much of the future or the past, but really ground yourself in the present. I know it's It's, it's, it's easier said than done. It really is. But I think that escaping and being allowed to do things that you love and not feeling guilty as a business owner, that you're not constantly thinking about your business and your baby, but you do need healthy boundaries. And I think that you still need to remember who you are and that you were a person before you started a brand.
2: Um, And I love your line. I mean, congratulations on that. It's such a it's a total example of, you know, gender inclusive beauty. And you know, just what really is happening and has needed to happen for a long time in beauty. So, if anyone listening hasn't checked it out, check it out. Good light by David Ye. Oh, Get your you. g- grab some of that good light. Um, <laughs> grab it. Um, well, David, we love to ask our guests this question, considering the year and a half or so we've all been through. What makes you hopeful in this world we're living in?
0: Wow. What makes me hopeful? What makes me hopeful is the upcoming generation of Gen Z, and now the alpha generation, which my two-year-old nephew is a part of. (laughs) But I think it's more of an inclusive space. They've grown up in a world that looks different, perhaps, to their households. They're embracing globalization. I think that they understand that differences make us stronger. Um, And I really do hope that we can come together in, you know, in a curious way where we think and we question and we ask people because we're interested. But I think that if we can embrace each other and love more and be more compassionate. The, the world is, is on track. And I think that we can get there. And I think that through beauty, we can get there, right? Beauty is the biggest and hottest industry right now. We have the power in our marketing, in, you know, in, in, in numbers to really change culture or push culture forward. Beauty has always been a conduit of change. Mm-hmm. And through my book, I've always seen that beauty has always been political mm-hmm. and beauty has always been a vehicle for people to better their lives. And, and I think that at this moment, you know, the beauty industry, Gen Z, you know, culturally. It all makes me feel as if we're moving towards the right direction. I mean, even what you're doing with 13 Loon, I never knew that that could exist 10 years ago. I would have wished that if I went into a a JCPenney, I saw, you know, a a shelf or a wall or a section of the store for brands for me, Mm -hmm. for brands for my friends. Mm -hmm. And I think that that makes me hopeful collectively that together we are rising Mm -hmm. and only through intersectionality, Mm -hmm. what I believed in in high school, is how we're going to make it through.
2: Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Amen to all of yeah, that. We, we all, we all
1: just want to see ourselves reflected on shelf. And and I think and uh, see ourselves reflected period. Right. And, um, and to feel that comfort of being seen and listened to and considered. Um, and that's, what's great. And it is, it's like it was really surreal because we've been a platform for 11 months, but then to, um, see our stores within JCPenney. Um, open and know that, yes, like I see myself refl- reflected on the shelves and I see you all reflected on the shelves, but I also see my amazing ally brands that are, are amazing ally brands that are not black or brown created, but people who were here for the mission and here for the conversation and and, and curious and supportive and and want to be a part of 13 Loon and, mm-hmm. and understand what true inclusivity looks like. And so that is, that is why we're so happy to do what we
2: do every day. I'm so happy and appre- of y'all. appreciative for your curiosity since it sounds like you were I don't know, five, six years <laughs> old. Always curious. You. It sounds like your curiosity has just increased since you were a little kid. And I'm grateful for that because that's why we're obviously seeing a lot of change within the industries you've been involved in and are involved in because you you really have been innovating in those spaces. And so thank you for your work. Thank you. <laughs> your continued work. <laughs> Tell our listeners where they can find you, all your your social handles
0: yes so you can find good light our gender inclusive brand at goodlight.world and you can find me at soul shall very good light at very good light um and pretty boys is on shelves everywhere so you know uh, be sure to check that out it's a holiday season it's a great book for everyone
2: Sell it. It is. And it it's a great book for everyone. It's, a, it's beautiful. Go and buy it. Go buy it. Um, and I do love your Instagram handle. I always have. Socialite is like um, one of the best Instagram handles. Thank you.
0: Thank you so much.
2: Well, thank you for being a part of our beauty vanguard. We're really honored to have you here. This episode was produced by Alexa Machia and Anne Marie Johnson. The show was edited by Charlotte Council. You can follow us on Instagram at @13loon, and at Melissa Maxasee, and at Nikayo.